help us now. Okay, super. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome to UPSC. Um, let's open up with roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Bouquet? Here. Trustee Charlotte? Trustee Hernandez? Here. Trustee Jensen? And Trustee Lauren? Here. Thank you. Um, just a couple of opening statements. Um, we have a quorum. We indeed reminder to everybody to speak into the microphone. For those of us who listen to the podcast, it made a difference last time, so thank you. And with that, let's move into closed session, please. Let's move into closed session. Welcome back uh, to uh, open session. Uh, just for comment for the official record, let this uh, let me make note that we approved uh, the credentialing reports in closed session, and we approved the action of the uh, medical staff to not approve uh, the application of Dr. Chung. Um, with that, uh, can I have a motion to approve the consent agenda? So moved. Second. Second. Okay. Uh, open it up for dialogue. Any comments on the consent agenda from anyone? There are, there are eight policies here is what I'd say. Very uh, big thanks to the policy team for adding names to the individual policies. Thank you for that change. It does make a nice difference when you're looking at the individual policy. Uh, we obviously still have some standard nomenclature opportunities. For example, sucrose administration for painful procedures. I, that was a surprising one for me. I didn't know what that was. And it, it actually applies to neonates. Uh, so yeah. it, it might be hard to find that policy if you were looking for it, unless you specifically knew about it. Um, but again, uh, uh, this is a work in progress. That's my one comment. Uh, I have a question because one of, one of the things that I uh, was told and learned through this, since I have no medical training whatsoever, uh, is to look to see whether or not the policies have gone through the appropriate committees. And if you look at the very first one, I, I was looking at the list of departmental compliance, steering, legal, etc., and it's all under Alameda, and I didn't understand Maybe you could, it's on page, page four or four. I guess it's 18 of 95. Got it. <laughs> so what does, can you explain that? What does that mean? Trustee Lawrence, uh, please pose your question one more time. Okay. It's all under Alameda. So does that mean that AHS doesn't have a compliance steering committee and only Alameda Hospital has a compliance steering committee? And only Alameda Hospital Got has it. a legal affairs committee? And um, so is it a formatting issue, or am I understanding that 
these other hospitals, the Corps and San Leandro, don't look at this policy. They only have departmental people looking at it. No, actually, I think this is a formatting issue. So this is a system-wide policy. This was developed by the company. That's what I saw at the beginning, yes. but it's listed under Alameda. Yeah, and, and so, so, I, so that's, that's a formatting thing. So, so all of these entities which are listed here are system level entities so legal affairs patient care leadership team clinical practice council uh, and then the medical executive committees so this is a formatting area that should not be under alameda to those dates there in that first column not all of those should be under alameda yet well then what and, and i don't know if this causes difficulty but i would say that if this how do i know that this is going to get changed because I don't think it ought to be filed. I mean, clearly, if I'm, if I'm doing my due diligence, I need to know that these policies, and as I went through looking at the committees, there's some there's inconsistencies on how that last page is, is put together. So what should advise me, please? Well, I, I, I can assure you that it went through the committees, the system-level committees that were that are listed there. Um, and I think Satira can vouch for the fact that it went through each uh, or it was presented to each of the three medical executive committees. Um, and then, you know, with the, if it's approved with the direction to change the graph so that it reflects oh, more okay, correctly, that, then that's okay, fine as well, okay, too. Okay, so that, that would be, that would be a modification in the, in the motion. Is that what you're suggesting? Yes, okay. yes. Okay. Trustee Fernandez. Yes, I have a question about a new policy. It's the interactions uh, between law enforcement personnel and our health care providers. Mm. Um, I was paying attention to that quite a bit, and I just wanted to make sure, are we uh, in conversation with representatives from uh, Oakland PD or sheriffs just to engage them in this. I'd, I'd hate for us to not be in conversation with them, and we should have the prerogative to say this is what's best for our patients. But I do want to understand, did we consult with them on this? Are they aware? Yes, so just by way of background, uh, this actually, this policy uh, was generated at the impetus of the uh, emergency and trauma teams at Highland Hospital. Um, and essentially <laughs> what happened is that uh, there was an initial draft set of guidelines that were put together and um, those guidelines were then shared with um, the county council, uh, the district attorney, um, the uh, Alameda County Sheriff's Office, uh, Oakland Police Department was invited uh, to participate. Oakland City Attorney was also invited to participate, and we actually had a meeting at Highland uh, amongst all of those entities to discuss both the the need for the policy and the purpose for the policy, and then the process going forward to actually get to a policy. Mm -hmm. Subsequent to that, a uh, draft policy was actually prepared. Uh, in the interim, there was the situation which occurred uh, in Utah at Salt Lake City at the hospital where the nurse was arrested. Yes. And so subsequent to that, uh, the uh, California Hospital Association actually put together a instructional webinar dealing with issues related to this and uh, recommended policy practices. Uh, 
So we then invited all of those agencies to view that webinar with our internal staff working on this. And the internal staff working on it uh, was our privacy officer, uh, one of my associate general counsels, uh, the emergency department personnel uh, who had helped us to uh, draft the policy. And so we invited all of those agencies to actually view the webinar with us so that they would hear the same things that we were hearing and would understand that to the extent that we were incorporating that stuff why we were doing it. Um, and a representative of the Sheriff's Department did participate in that. And then after that webinar, we actually had a discussion with uh, him about um, modifications that we would make to the policy. So when we finalized the policy, it was reviewed or sent once more to all of those agencies, uh, as well as the uh, emergency team that had worked on it. Once they signed off on it at that point, it then went on to the medical executive committees. And I'm taking from your comments that Oakland Police Department didn't participate as much as you had hoped? They, they did not participate actively. They did review the final version of the policy, and we sent it to them and invited them to provide any you know, comments or feedback uh, that they would want to offer you know, with okay. respect to it, but they did not have any. So once we pass this, will we send an official letter to them saying that this is now adopted? Yes. Okay. Yes. Terrific. Thank you. And then what's the timeline from the time the, the policy is approved to when the ED or the, the hospital staff get their training for it or get to know that? Because I think there were portions over there which said that when there's a law enforcement officer speaking to someone who's not under arrest, there should be a health professional in the room and all of that as well. So Yes, so in a part of the... Um, uh, the uh, the process and you know essentially when this was uh, presented to the uh, patient care leadership team there was a discussion of what training uh, would be required for this and so the clinical education department takes care of scheduling training for the relevant okay. folks so we've developed a training program we've also developed a you know, essentially a, uh, a flip chart uh, for personnel, which, you know, sort of summarizes and provides some flow charts. You know, it's something you can keep in your pocket so that, you know, whoever's on duty, they have a, and it basically if the issue arises, you know, you go to the first one. If it's not that situation, you go to the next one okay. until you actually find that. So we've prepared all of those materials, and it's just a question of uh, the uh, CE actually scheduling the training since, you know, that can be a little bit complicated. Mm -hmm. So... Okay. And the other, uh, Trustee Lawrence. Is, is there a uh, similar or uh, equivalent policies for the EDs at San Leandro and Alameda Hospital? So this is a system level policy? System level policy. So this uh, covers up. Because it refers to, okay, well then, um, it refers to the ED, does that include the PES? Say again? Does that include John George? Yeah, well, it refers to any interactions with law enforcement in any of the emergency facilities, so that would include PES as well, too. I, I just, they, it, it talks about the ED quite extensively, so uh, if it's not in the ED, does it, do we still consider, I guess, it's a good question then, the PES is considered to be an ED for purposes of this? Yeah, yeah, so that was actually one of the questions that come up, and it, it is focused on the emergency department because, you know, quite frankly, that's where most of the interactions occur, and they are typically pursuing to emergency care being provided, um, and that's, 
you know, where it happened. So that clearly is the focus of it. But it is intended to cover all interactions with law enforcement wherever they may occur within a facility. Including ambulatory. Yes. Yes. Thanks. Nice dialogue. Any other comments, trustees, on the consent agenda for that? Uh, Trustee Lawrence. Just can we can we correct the formatting before we take it to the full board? I know this is on the, the board uh, retreat agenda, um, but I don't, I, I think if we're going to approve these policies, they ought to be formatted correctly, and so. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would have to ask. I, to be honest, I'm not sure who. You mean you didn't type this yourself? I no? did not, you know, actually. Well, uh, <laughs> so, I'm surprised. Okay. But we'll check to see if we can get a corrected version of that uh, chart put together. So. Okay. Thank you. So how would, should we put that in motion, Trustee Lawrence? Um, I think the motion should be amended to suggest that this is approved. Approved uh, subject to amendment. Uh, approved subject to amendment before it's taken to the board for a full vote. I second that. Formatting. <laughs> With uh, that, uh, all in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Abstention? The consent agenda carries. So that's completion of item B. Let's move into item C, which was a new item last month, which was just the chair report. Just again to contextualize us. My vision for this uh, little stop off for us is just to be a springboard for further dialogue. Um, I included an article for us to review. Um, it's kind of like our little book club. I hope that uh, uh, the board members had an opportunity to read it. And I'm going to, for the next you know five minutes or so, open it up to you guys uh, for discussion. I, I, I always have a few comments, but I want to hear what my colleagues have to say. I was curious as why you felt you wanted to share this with us. Yes. Um, my driver here is that uh, as, as the chair of the, uh, uh, of the Quality Committee and as a practicing physician within our organization, Quality sits kind of at the center of what I try and attempt and strive to do every single day. I think it is sort of a, it was an interesting read for me, and I'll quote uh, a couple of items from this, not to be too long, but uh, in the middle of the body of the article, uh, in general, hospital boards do not view themselves as institutional champions of quality. And then further down in the chapter, uh, in the paragraph, only half of boards view clinical quality as one of their top two concerns. In contrast, financial performance was a top priority for about three quarters of hospital boards. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I personally have a principle, which is uh, uh, the business should follow the care and not the other way around. Um, so that's why I want to bring forth this kind of discussion. Uh, I, I know that discussions of finance are critical to our, or to our livelihood, to our survival. Um, I think the challenge is perhaps losing our, our, our quality, uh, our quality uh, North Star uh, along the path. And I just wanted to have that dialogue. It's meant to be a little bit provocative and to discuss, it's kind of an existential question. Who are we? And I always like existential questions. I thought it was a great article, and I thought that the case for um, making quality a number one priority from the very top is absolutely true, and that is true to what we need to be doing. And um, I, I think one of the hardest uh, uh, steps to take is 
um, calling those quality gaps out. Um, we have a trust culture uh, initiative going on for the organization. Do we also include ourselves in that process? So if we're calling that out at the board level, are we being seen as collaborative and constructive and helpful and dedicated, or are we seen as, you know, troublemakers? And I hope it's the former, not the latter. But I do believe that that is an important thing for all of us to carry in our hearts when we walk in the door. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I agree too, and I think that we've seen examples of that because even when you've heard about the ambulatory redesign or any of that, when the systems are so um, glacial or, you know, not it, it, um, work, work, clinical care suffers and people have to, when you don't have the right kind of forms, you don't have the scheduling, you have all of that. So just having um, all of those things are so directly related to patient care and um, again, the, the majority of the board is on the QPSC, which is a really good thing and shows our commitment to it, but uh, we don't have as much in the full board, um, as much focus to quality as I think some of us would like. Trustee Charlin, Trustee Lawrence. You know, I, I do understand how, how many healthcare systems and hospitals kind of get in the financial rut, right? Because we all believe no margin, no mission. And so sometimes we spend a lot more time on the financial. On the margin. Yeah, right, on that margin than we do on the quality. Uh, although I will say, you know, I, I, on this board, I am impressed with, with the amount of work that's done with this committee. And I do agree also that, you know, sometimes we just get so marred down in, in the financial, even in our own board, that we just don't give enough time to, to really focusing on those quality issues. So I think we can learn a lot from this article, or I think if our takeaway from this has to be that, you know, we don't want to be one of those boards that, that, that truly focuses more on finance or is even perceived as one of those boards. While maintaining our fiduciary responsibility, while continuing to understand the importance, right, of margin. Trustee Lawrence. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, yeah. Trustee, Dress, Trustee Jensen. I apologize. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We're interchanging. <laughs> um, actually, I was going to talk about something that Trustee Lawrence could relate to, too, and which is um, other public boards, including school boards, um, t have in the past 20, 30 years had to focus on quality. And as our board, as hospital boards are having to, because often reimbursement is more tied to quality. So it, 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 it encompasses our, our quality review, encompasses the financial responsibility as well, because we're often being required, or hospitals are required by, by payers to meet certain quality standards. So it's not, um, it's completely within our, our authority and our responsibility, in my opinion, to be reviewing this. And I, I, but what I wanted to really start with was when I first got on the board at this hospital, meeting in this room, and um, I decided I would be on the quality committee for Alameda Hospital. And at that time, um, we did have both the MEC, the rep, um, Evans Collins at that time, was the, um, the representative, and of course, um, Dr. Deutsch and I were on the quality committee, and I learned a tremendous amount, of, even though I had a background in, had worked in hospitals and had a background in public health, I learned a tremendous amount about 
clinical patient care and about the types of things that the facility has to have in place. You know, it, it, it's, it is about finance as well because if you're going to make a change to the wall, it's going to cost money. If you have to have, you're going to have quality by not having um, patients leave the facility, John George perhaps, and um, in order to do that, you're going to have to spend money. So it, it really does tie back very closely to the finances and to the performance. You, as, as we always say, well, we are our only, the only person that we have authority over is the CEO, but the CEO is, of course, in charge of reimbursement, in charge of facilities, and in charge of, of the organization. So the quality ties in very closely. I did appreciate this article, and I, I completely agree with them. Um, with helping if more members were trained in clinical quality. That's one of the great things about this board. Yes. Mm -hmm. Is to have you and to have a representative from the medical staff to advise and, and provide input on, on those clinical quality issues. Yes, sir. So, Dr. can I make a, did anyone else want to speak first? Dr. Jamalady. Mm -hmm. Anything? Or, or chiefs of staff. It's a dialogue. Mm -hmm. No, but uh, I, I certainly appreciate the article. Uh, I know I think it was written in 2015. And yes. Been like more and more trend of uh, the value-based purchasing throughout the nation. And, uh, you know, I always appreciate uh, the input and the questions that come from our Board of Trustees. And I said this before, I say it again, every time I come to this meeting and I leave it, I go about what am I going to do next and what am I going to change. So I appreciate this. Thank you, Dr. Jamaldi. Trustee Energy. If we could, you know, get opportunities, I mean, we can reach out to round with the clinical staff sometimes too. Like we, we should be more intentional about doing that, so we'd love to schedule work with you all to be able to come and do that as well. So we learn more and we can be more stronger advocates for you in the boardroom. Yeah, mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I would say, um, at some point we need to understand what's the best mechanism for those on the front line to be able to tell us what they notice the most that jeopardizes quality or that you know may uh, stand in the way of their being able to give the best quality of care. Um, I think it's one thing to talk about it here. It's a totally different experience to be on the front lines. So we rely on you to you know, be, be the ears uh, to listen to those concerns and then to share them with us and say we need some work on this area or support. Dr. Hart? Well, no, I, I agree. I think the quality really drives, um, you know, it drives ratings, it drives public impression, it drives patients to our front doors, um, and it encompasses a lot of different areas. And sometimes, uh, you know, there are clearly national metrics uh, which are measured, and they're clearly sort of subtle, more internal metrics that are that are important. And um, you know, for anyone who read Zed in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, it's all about quality. It is. And Don Berwick said this in his address at the last IHI: when you lead with quality, it's pretty hard to go wrong. And I think that's something uh, another true notion. So with that, I'll close out item C. And we will now move into item D, uh, the medical staff reports. Um, dealer's choice, gentlemen. <laughs> Dr. Magalong? <Magdalene? laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I was just checking on something uh, before you do that. Yes, sir. Yeah, I would point out, we are actually in board effect under the um, 
in the library, there is actually a document called Corporate Responsibility and Healthcare Quality, which is a resource for healthcare uh, boards of directors. And this was actually um, generated by the U.S. Department of Health and Human awesome. Services. I didn't know about this. Yes. So, and what it you know, attempts to do is to uh, articulate, you know, for a healthcare board, you know, what the quality of responsibility is, and then give some practical guidance on how they can discharge that responsibility, you know, to the you know, point of providing, you know, sample questions that they can ask, you know, or that they, you know, would consider asking, you know, in the course of, you know, conducting meetings, you know, interactions with staff, that sort of thing. So uh, this was uh, published in October of uh, 2016, and I believe this is the most recent uh, version of it, so. Mike, that's in our that's our, in our board effects library. Yeah, it's on the board effects library. And the title of it is one more time. Uh, Corporate responsibility and healthcare quality: a resource for healthcare boards of directors. Okay. Maybe more homework for each of us. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you, Mike. That's going to be very helpful. Well, that will all go into item D, the medical staff reports. Dr. Magalong, you have the floor. Um, I would like to share. Um, what the medical staff here has discussed during the past month in terms of quality and some feedback from the medical staff so we can all collaborate and address certain issues. I think first and foremost is that we had our ED transition April 1st uh, and um, there were some challenges that we've had. Uh, we uh, approached uh, Dr. Jamaldeen and, and the Oakhill Medical Group and have uh, collaborated to uh, address you know these issues um, that uh, happened were identified during uh, the uh, tr uh, transition period, and uh, the the main concern about the aspects that we were looking at and have subsequent discussions with with the Indian physician was the um, the uh, medical director for Alameda Hospital's emergency department um, because that we see as a critical point person to address workflow issues, quality and patient safety issues. So we've had good engagement with um, OCARE and you know, we're in constant communication with them. Uh, I think the challenges uh, that we have is that we, we the, first, the physician that uh, we're targeting to be the medical director for Alameda won't start until July, but there's some interim uh, ED physicians that have stepped up to um, fill in that role, so we're we're confident moving forward that we'll be able to um, to make the transitions more bumps along the way. But you know, we are um, collaborating with with everyone in this particular concern. Um, the, we also addressed issues raised by medical staff in terms of having eventually having four physician emergency room physicians that will be mainly heavily um, scheduled here at Alameda. Uh, so they will be rested um, in the local uh, emergency room and really help identify and drive issues that needs to uh, be improved uh, within the department. I'm not certain I understand that. Would you, would you explain that a little bit more? I think right now because of the transition period, um, their, their staffing of the emergency room is, is being uh, done by uh, physicians from um, from Okia and Highland and from uh, locums physicians that are coming in. So the challenges that we're having is that um, there is no, especially for the local physicians, they're not really rested on the, on the sites when they're working. And so, you know, issues that have come up, you know, they 
fear this is your site to try right. to fix them. And so we understand that that's a challenge um, at the beginning, and both O'Care and the medical staff here I know that, understand it. But you know, at least there's this uh, acknowledgement of this issue, and that we're trying to identify key uh, physicians from Highland that will be uh, working here more to help attend meetings, uh, committee meetings, service committee meetings, do peer review until you know we get a more stable um, emergency room staff and cohort and core group of physicians at our hospital that will be um, you know driving uh, the care for physicians coming through the ED. Okay. And are you pretty certain that you're going to get somebody by July 1 or is that the target date? Is it an iffy? Uh, um, because then you're talking about you know, a, a process that will carry us for four months, basically. Right. Yeah. So there, Dr. Melody Glenn has been identified as the uh, <coughs> emergency room medical director, which will start July 1st. Um, she's actually already attending some of our meetings, even though she hasn't been uh, in that official role yet. Uh, also, uh, Dr. Charlotte Wills has been engaged uh, and is the interim emergency room medical director for Alameda until Dr. Glenn comes in. A few emergency room physicians who have worked shifts here at also at Highland have also been identified to uh, be more engaged and look after the ED issues here at Alameda. So I think that will help as well. Um, yeah, so part of the issue is that, that um, the ED folks at, at Highland, we only have barely 16 of us total. Um, and to cover all the shifts at Alameda and San Leandro is a pretty enormous uh, and daunting task. Yeah. Um, and so the process to get um, the, up, the ramping up period is just is, is going to be a long one to get solid staff. We, we, there's a few here and there. Melody Glenn um, actually trained in a safety net system. She trained in Maricopa uh, under a friend of mine who was a program director there, and she was the EMS fellow for UCSF. Uh, for the last two years, so she's actually fellowship trained, and she's she's a wonderful provider. She's actually been a part timer uh, with us at Highland, um, so she'll be the medical director. Um, but in that process, it's just it's going to take a while to get sort of a stable cadre of folks who know the community, are facing mm -hmm. community members. Dr. Wills is an Alamedan. That's true. Yeah. Was, um, so that's, that's We'd love to have her here, but she has to do the also the residency <laughs> program. So that's true. Um, I wanted to, but my question about. Um, the ED2, or, or my comment, is that we also have here the community paramedic program, to your point, um, Dr. Magdalene. So the community paramedics are working with the ED to identify patients who are in need of higher levels of care or patients who are tending to use the ED at higher rates. And so uh, uh, to your point, it's really helpful to have some stability there in terms of the providers so that they can identify and outreach to community paramedics or receive the um, patients that come in from the CPP to, um, you know, to, that are identified by the CPP as um, high utilizers. Dr. Maglong, are you, uh, can you can you opine further on whether you think you're on the pathway? Uh, you know, all when you bring two cultures together, and do, there's always short-term pain, hopefully for long-term gain. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Are, are you are you satisfied you're on this pathway? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the you know when we identify these areas and raise it to. Um, uh, you know, these concerns, you know, the, the response has been positive. Great. Uh, the engagement is good. Um, and, you know, uh, it, I, I'm 
I'm positive that you know we can get through this. I think identifying key uh, ED physicians before the main board group is there uh, would, would really help drive the, the process of making sure that quality care is being provided. And there's no disruption of workflows from the nursing perspective and you know from the staff perspective. And you know, making sure ensuring the community that you know it's the, the quality is still the same. Um, so you know the, the onboarding process we also discussed. And I think the main challenge is with um, with having uh, you know Providers come in and make sure that you know the, there's some type of orientation process that happens before they they start their, their shift, and, and that's you know we we come up with a plan on, on to make sure that you know that happens. The challenge is with having the locums come in and, and do a shift. It's a very short time before they they um, start their shift, so you know we're trying to find a solution for that particular issue that has been raised. I mean, part of the, the challenge, too, is not only is it onboarding for these locums folks, but sometimes they come in and they only, you know, they're only scheduled to work, you know, a couple shifts or four or five shifts, and it's a tremendous burden for the credentialing team, which, you know, credentialing normally takes three weeks, yeah. sometimes longer, um, and to have literally 40 or 50 people trying to get through the credentialing for both Alameda and San Leandro, it is a tremendous burden for them, um, and it is something that is, it will, the other challenge is that it, it's impacting all the rest of the, the appointments sure. and everything else, just because the volume, the sheer volume of this is truly stunning. So, um, to Dr. Hearn, is O-Care is in the process of, of expanding your, um, the, your physician group, right? Yeah, that is correct. So, so we've uh, we've reached out to all of our alumni, and we have a handful of alumni who are willing to come back and do shifts. Um, in addition, but the hiring process for new grads tends to happen sort of in the summertime. So we expect the oh, okay. July-August period to be when a lot of our new grads, the new grads who are finishing residency in New York or mm -hmm. Chicago or St. Louis, want to come back to California. So oh, we anticipate that's going to be that's the traditional ramp-up period. It's generally rare to hire, you know. Okay, so that's how it's, it's like school. Exactly, it's the academic school year. So, so um, there the the cadre of people who are out looking for a bunch of shifts in April and May just doesn't exist. Right. And so it's those people who happen to be in Morocco and they're literally coming back for like heck do four shifts, um, and that's the challenge. The challenge for Satarts, don't It's a huge yeah. challenge for, for Satira and yeah. Lily and the credential mm -hmm. team. Right. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And uh, I want to assure the board and Satira's you know, team that granting you know, temporary privileges for locums is very difficult. But we want to make sure that you know, the file is clean, there are no issues, but we recommend for their, sure. uh, that they get it goes to quality. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have an estimate as to when, or a projection as to when we think we will be full-time staff? Is this a six-month project? Is this a one-year project? A year. It's a one-year project. Probably a year. Project. Dr. Jamal. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, we have a like studied projection about the decrease in the percentage of locum. Dr. Barry Simon uh, and and his team and. Um, I mean, that was a whole idea with going actually with OKR. The projection was much better than before the other groups. 
the only thing is the seasonal, seasonality. Seasonality, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I can uh, tell you that uh, uh, everybody has been hands on board with respect to this transition, and it is getting better. Uh, we do not have much uh, metrics at Alameda Hospital. We have metrics at San Leandro, and I have been watching those metrics on a daily basis, and they have been improving steadily. Actually, you know, every day they have been like more trending towards the green. Uh, we are addressing all the issues that come from each and every one from, uh, from the staff, not only the medical staff, but also the nursing staff and the operational staff about all these issues. And uh, I know that uh, Bob uh, Savio, uh, myself, uh, we've been rounding in these in this, in this units and talking to the people, and things have been, have been getting better. It has been a journey to learn how much different we are and it is a vision how much we are going to become the same and integrated. Just a curiosity, is the credentialing process something that we have designed internally or is this something that you must follow every step a certain way from requirements? The, the standard requirements that we follow that acceptable in the industry. Okay. Do you feel it's as efficient as it could be? We, we can, uh, <laughs> just to answer this if I may, uh, we have uh, like a requirement that our state requirement. Sure. Uh, team, uh, and Satira has been, they have been working on having uh, an electronic platform for this uh, to make things more efficient. And uh, this we were building this platform when this has happened, but now we are in the like third phase, right, Satira, of the Morse implementation. We're in phase two. Phase two. Okay. So we are we are implementing this, and as we implement this, it will become more efficient. There is another part here, uh, clearly just uh, just talked, which we all love to hear. She's been working like very very hard on, on both credentialing. But uh, there is another part of, of the other credentialing is the enrollment process. Mm -hmm. Because we are, uh, we, the, the care has assigned profits mm -hmm. to the uh, health partners. And the enrollment process is another aspect where we enroll patients in the medical managed care and other payers. So, uh, and again, this has been happening efficiently. I've been looking at the profits and uh, the profits started to, the billing process started to come in. I mean. The last number was probably like about 600, 700,000 looking at it. And that's, that's really is going to help us, you know, with the financial situation other than the integration. Yeah. I was going to say um, pretty much the same question to both Dr. Magdalene and Dr. Shear is that as you're kind of working to hold and manage the EDOs, so we're going to be working with the transition of your CEOs, so that is an additional um, you know, complexity that you're going to have to be dealing with, so I hope that uh, in, the, as, in the interim as our executive leadership team uh, stretches to be able to do that, that you keep finding creative ways and having like institutional some ways in this interim to get the info back to CEO, back to the folks so that they hear your voice uh, throughout this process and that there's a way that, you know, with James Jackson's departure, we need to have a little bit more support. 
anything further, Dr. Michael? Uh, yeah. Keep <laughs> yeah. So other issues that was discussed in the uh, uh, staff meeting are, are just some concerns that some of the physicians have, have with, with our nursing care. Uh, it seems that we have a lot of, uh, uh, we're still using a lot of uh, registry nurses uh, in the hospital and it's starting to affect our, our metrics and our workflows uh, because we see new nurses every like six to eight weeks. Although, you know, they've been onboarded and oriented, still, you know, it's different when you have somebody who, again, is vested at your local facility. But mm -hmm. so we understand about, you know, the financial situation that the system has, but, you know, we, we just wanted to bring that out that, you know, we're, that's one thing that uh, is, uh, we're hoping that we've had some solution at some point. If I could just ask um, Dr. Magalang, uh, uh, hopefully you're aware that tomorrow the, the, um, this board is meeting here for the first um, day of our retreat, and at 1.15 tomorrow we will be discussing the future of Alameda Hospital, and I urge you to, and other physicians and clinicians to bring those um, concerns to the board because it may be that there's, it may help to either determine or support the course that we take or um, identify issues that are affecting the care that's given here. Mm -hmm. And I'll share that information to the medical staff. Thank you. Okay. Encourage them to uh, attend. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's thank it. you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Maglong. Standard work. Uh, Dr. Maglong, do you have any further comments, concerns, or suggestions that would help us in our mission to pursue the safest and highest quality care at Alameda Hospital? Um, I think um, with the integration of services that we're looking at across the system, um, from the medical staff standpoint, we, they were asking for more engagement from administration as to what direction that we're headed and what services we're integrating and if possible if the if the physicians have some input on, on the services that we're integrating as we move forward um, because uh, you know as everybody is aware you know there's the, the the medical staff changes the composition of the medical staff has changed because of the integration of services and you know it naturally concerns most of the positions uh, that are on the medical staff. And I think with engagement ahead of time, I, I don't really know the answer to this, but it affects the, the morale of the medical staff. And you know, I think I'm having um, challenges with getting more physicians in the staff engaged because of you know, the changes that are happening. And I'm just sharing that transparently with, with the board. It's, you know, it's some, we understand integration of, of services, but you know, it's just a, the unforeseen consequence probably of what happens. Well, what is the, what is the communication structure and the, the structure that allows the various, uh, the, the, two, the two hospitals to come into the core or the core go into, into the two hospitals? What, how does that work? And, and what, that's a bad way to phrase it. I, I'm interested in how, when you talk about the integration of services, what is the vehicle for conversation among the medical staffs 
where decisions are made. How how does this work? I think you know that that to me is also unclear as to when you know the decisions made to. So there's not a formal structure. Is that what you're saying? No. no. Even I mean between the between the clinical staff and the administrative staff. There is, you know, there is, you know, we, we get to be aware of the decisions that have been made. But there is understand. I think that that might be a good opportunity for us to, to work on so that, you know, there's engagement from the medical staff because we get, you know, we're aware with when the decision has already been made rather than, you know, we're trying to integrate this particular service line, you know, what are, you know, what, what input from the, the staff as to, you know, what they think would be a better mm -hmm. uh, transition to do it, yeah. I guess. Absolutely. And that might be something that, that our, that this group talks about and makes recommendations to the administration. You know, I, I see it as, I call it the, the mushroom quality, the mushroom, uh, where you're just kept in the dark and people keep throwing stuff on you. And um, that's not a way in which you want to be able to, to, to embrace a, a system, you know. Um, so maybe there's something that we could, we could recommend or talk through what is the best way? I mean, do you guys have those conversations? What would make a difference? And what would a structure look like if you were recommending something? So the three of you as leaders in this thing, what would you recommend to a group? You don't have to do it today. But what would you recommend that helps make the quality decisions in a better, in a more encompassing way? And you don't have to do it today, yeah. but it might be so something. So what do you do now? Those are excellent points. I mean, one of the things that I think that, uh, that we found was, for instance, like including, like realizing that there wasn't any clinical person on the FTE committee during this budgetary crisis. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that actually, like once we had a physician representative who was, who was on that FTE committee, I mean, it, it felt as though there was more of our interest as the medical staff being represented, um, and I, I think that that was, that, that was helpful. There's still a lot of other things we could do to address morale, but I think there's the part of it's like a, a headless discussion. Take that one piece. So the individual that went on to that FTE committee, how did the other hospital doctors come to appoint that individual. Is that something that they had a part in, or was that primarily from the core? How did that? So th that's an opportunity then for three medical staffs to say, we, we would like somebody to represent us. Right, so that person was decided actually amongst the chairs uh, at our chair's huddle, um, at the core, at the core. Um, the chairs, um, they're, there really only was one or two people who were who had the time and were willing right. and interested, and it turned out to be the chair of medicine, Rachel Baden, right. who, we, who represents 80 percent of the admissions to, to Highland, um, who we trust, and uh, and so it was it was that engagement and that 
um, those relationships that allowed the chair to, to vest their interest within her, knowing that she, if, if there were decisions that came up regarding the other departments, she would approach the other chairs to talk about them. Within the court, but how, how would she, is there, is there a way in which she can, in fact, interact with the other uh, with the other physicians, the other medical staff. So at the very least, she goes and is introduced, explains what her role is going to be, uh, you know, so that there is some kind of conversation about, um, for, from the other medical staff. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not sure if the FTE committee is, is for the other medical staffs or not. I, I was, I don't know. Okay. But I think that there's clearly a role for that. Okay. Especially as we move towards, you know, greater collaboration and service lines that cross all medical staff. Okay. And a follow-up to that. Is there um, a collaboration platform that all of the physicians are using to share these kinds of insights and comments and questions? Platform. Like Slack? Uh, yeah, we've met for the first, I mean, before we started meeting a year, a year and a half ago, it was the first time that the three yeah. chiefs had ever met before in a group, and so on a regular basis now, the chiefs and the vice chiefs will meet um, and sort of, you know, talk about the issues, and the most recent one, actually, Dr. Jamaladeen had convened, and, and, uh, and we met with Dr. Jamaladeen, the plan is moving forward, and we have the chiefs, the vice chiefs, Dr. Jamaladeen, and Dovecchio Finley at these meetings, so we can sort of, like, and talk about stuff. And it was, I thought the last one was really helpful. Yeah, I'm coming from a place where in some of the corporations that I've worked in, um, you have tools like Slack, um, uh, Basecamp, things that allow for people to post information, to just say, hey, this is something I saw today. What do you do about it? And it goes out to everyone in a, in a safe environment, obviously, not to the public, but just something for you internally to be able to talk and share and, and process this. Um, I say that because, um, you know, someday, the way we meet as uh, a committee will be will be seen as very archaic. Um, I've been in meetings where um, the agenda is put up and you are given the ability to vote immediately and then to throw ideas at, and the entire agenda changes as the as as the group comes together to to come to a decision point. And so you can accomplish a lot with that kind of technology. Um, I know that that's not in our realm right now, but something as basic as allowing for um, a place where the physicians can process all of this stuff that's happening and that their voice gets heard uh, is really important to me uh, because I think um, they are besieged by everything that we know is important. Take care of the patient. Put the patient first. And then when it comes to their own livelihood, their own well-being, their own sense of uh, efficacy within our system, you know, it's on them. They kind of have to volunteer time to do that. They have to show up at other meetings and so on. I'd like to make that as easy as possible for everyone who's in that position because we need their voice uh, to, to do the best possible care, and I don't want to, I don't want it to be hard to get there. That's, yeah. Uh, thank you, Dr. Manglong. Uh, Dr. Hearn, if you'll take up for the, uh, for the report. Your Chief of Staff report. Um, so Chief of Staff report for the open session. Starts again and, and finishes actually with quality. 
quality and safety that um, right now the uh, a lot of collaborative efforts have been very productive. The quality outcomes and nursing teams have uh, uh, been working on reducing our falls. The, the fall reduction initiative um, has actually been working and the falls rate has dropped precipitously. Um, so the formation of a system-wide falls council actually reinforces uh, the idea of the standard work to help us sustain uh, these improvements. In addition, our pharmacy department has done uh, a really great job in terms of continuing uh, their uh, quality metrics, um, and they've, uh, they have really improved tremendously. Our patient experience ratings uh, for the hospital and care transitions were below our goal. Um, we believe, uh, and we spent a lot of time discussing this in MEC this past uh, last week, probably related to our surge red status, um, our hospital overcrowding status. Um, part of the challenge is that um, the NEDOX score, which is the National Emergency Department Overcrowding Score, NEDOX, um, really takes into account only the emergency department. Uh, it takes into account the number of hours people have been waiting, the number of patients waiting to go upstairs. Um, and while it is a great score, and I'm glad that we've, we're doing it after 20 years of asking for something like this, I'm really glad that the search team has, has, uh, has come through with this. The rest of the chairs, appropriately so, say, hey, you know, it's not just about the emergency department. Um, it's about surgery, and it's about a really impacted overall census. The, right. the medicine teams have, medicine inpatient team has, they have six different teams, and they had to create a seventh team. They call it Team Unicorn, um, <laughs> because it just magically appears sometimes and magically disappears. Um, but they've had to have, they've had to run uh, Team Unicorn literally for like two months, you know, two or three months straight uh, in order, and it's not staffed by residents, it's staffed by hospitals to try to keep up with the, the pretty amazing census that we've had. Uh, hospital census has been really, really high, um, as is acuity. And so what's great is that the chairs are starting to say, you know, there's a lot of other issues related to hospital overcrowding, and it's not just emergency department overcrowding, which is totally appropriate, and I agree with that. Um, Dr. Miraflor, one of our surgeons who, um, uh, is on the MEC related a story of uh, the PACU, which is um, not only sometimes a destination for patients from the emergency department, they get admitted to the PACU even though they haven't actually gone to the OR. It's the we PACU. define PACU for the board, uh, post anesthesia care unit. So after you come out of the OR, you stay in the PACU as you recover, your anesthesia wears off, you're able to uh, take care of you know, some of your activities of daily living, and then you get transferred to the floor. Well, the PACU is the location where sometimes patients go from the emergency department if there are no beds upstairs, um, but it's another destination potentially for patients to go before they go to another bed. Um, but the challenge is that the PACU can become very impacted as well. So Dr. Miraflor, who uh, did a fellowship in colorectal surgery, um, had a patient with a colostomy um, surgery. And instead of going to the PACU and then being put on the floor within the day, literally stayed in the PACU for Four days. Four or five days? Oh yeah. So four or five days in the PACU. The PACU doesn't have uh, private bathrooms. Uh, and so the lights don't turn off. The lights don't turn off. So literally in the same bed with the lights on for four or five days. Um, and it's a good ex it's a good discussion to have about, you know, hospital overcrowding. It's not just about the emergency department. It's about throughput on the floors, placement issues. Um, and so even if the ED isn't in a surge red, which still happens. Um, you know, there's a lot of hospital overcrowding issues that affect patient satisfaction and quality. And yeah. so it's not surprising that those scores have gone down. Um, 
but uh, it's uh, it, it has reached the point where uh, there is, um, as Dr. Magalong said, the morale is quite uh, low at this point, mm -hmm. um, and I think it's multifactorial. Uh, but uh, um, I have to be honest that you know, amongst the physician leaders, we all sort of know each other, and you know, a bunch of us have been here for 20 years. So like, I'm not sure it's been this low before, um, and um, so I think that's part of the challenge. Dr. Hearn, um, you recall, and I'm sure you were in the BL when the waiting room was mm -hmm. was produced, and it, 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 I think that it seemed that, that things improved after that for some uh, years um, because of the scrutiny, or maybe there was an allocation of resources, I'm not sure, but do you feel like we're at that level? I mean, when, when, as soon as you said the colostomy, I thought of the dialysis patient in that movie, and yeah, right. right. I mean, I think part of the challenge, I mean, again, it's multifactorial. We have a beautiful new hospital building which has fewer beds than our old hospital inpatient building. So the design of the system is that more patients are going towards uh, ambulatory care settings where you wouldn't necessarily admit them. You might put that, uh, a, a line in them and give them antibiotics at home, do more home PT, that sort of thing. But we're seeing in many instances, it happened to USC as well, they went from a 750-bed hospital to like a 650-bed hospital. Um, and so their surge and overcrowding went dramatically up. And so while the, while the waiting room was, was done, we still had more, more beds to place people. The challenge now, of course, is that we've shut down a floor at San Leandro, yeah. so there are fewer patient, fewer spaces for our stable patients to be transferred. Um, and there are plenty of patients who are waiting on the floor to go to someplace without someplace to send them. And so, again, it's, it's multifactorial and there are no easy answers, um, but I think that that is one of the issues with, with morale. Um, and the other issue with morale, quite frankly, is, you know, when you're in a somewhat of a budgetary crisis and you are seeing um, FTEs getting cut from your systems, whether you're in the clinic or you're in the OR, um, it's hard to see that, I think, from a provider perspective, as being beneficial to patient care when you are having a harder time moving patients through. Right. And it's just a, you know, it's a, that saying about cutting your core business might not be the right choice. And I think, and I'm not saying that it's not, I mean, everybody, we have to be fiscally responsible, obviously. Um, but I think that from a provider perspective, I think that is why the morale in general is low. And, and uh, we actually met with Dr. Molly last week, and, with some ideas about like we have to celebrate some wins amongst the medical staff to sort of prove that like things are going to get better and you know we had a wonderful match season and our residents are going to be great um, and there's a lot of really positive things for us to focus on but I think we need to spend some time focusing on those positive things to show that you know we're still here for our patients we're still here for our mission um, and to really focus on the wins to make things to make people feel like we're going the right direction. Um, I have one more question and I appreciate your, your input. Do, do you see that the, um, we're here at Alameda Hospital, do you see that the transfer system, the transfer uh, process is, is working? I, because it we put the transfer process into place and, and we, it seems like the outcome. Uh, what what happens, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it, I think some days it works really well. Um, most recently, I mean, it was a it was a rough flu season, so there were a lot of times when you know there were no beds available or one bed, um, you know, and if you have 20 admitted patients waiting to go upstairs or somewhere, and there are even fewer beds available at San Leandro, there's there's we want to we, we want to hope that there are beds for for people to go to, but uh, that's often challenging. Okay, thank you. 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 Thank you.
Well, there's some bad stairs that could be re reestablished. So, uh, so come to the meeting tomorrow. So just uh, the transfer uh, actually happened around the Del Vecchio on the transfer center today. Um, I feel like it has worked, but uh, we need to push it up to the higher level. We, we, have, we need to have a more integrated information exchange. So uh, plus the construction at San Leandro has also affected us in the number of beds and capacity. Um, they, they, you know, they are working on trying to, to move patients and uh, uh, and try to you know accommodate uh, capacity in our system. Uh, but like for example, today uh, there were two beds available at the Alameda Hospital, uh, but none of the patients who were uh, admitted in the emergency room were. Uh, you know, fit to go into these beds, but we were prepared to admit directly to those beds, uh, like as the day goes on. So, so you have to do a switch. From we have done also. They have done. Yeah. So they have done switches also for patients who need a procedure, for example, in an ICU at Kentucky and Middle San Leandro, and then they took an ICU patients from uh, Highland. Uh, so they are doing also this advanced kind of. Uh, uh, of exchanges uh, with the provider, with the physician-to-physician -physician communication and nurse-to-nurse -nurse communication. Well, do you, can, uh, one more question about the, so for example, um, since this is a stroke center, would you, do you feel confident that, that patients who come in who are suffering from a stroke at San Leandro or, or um, Highland that are taken there immediately can, can be stabilized and transferred here, is that, or is this, is that how it works, or do they just, is it a stroke center for, for diagnosis and stabilization? No, we've definitely, we've definitely transferred patients who are stroke patients um, here when the beds are available. But again, they have to, have, they have to be on plum trees, so they have to have their heart monitored. So it's, um, it is just a challenge to find when the beds are actually available. Thanks. Yes, ma'am. Putting aside the formal benchmarks that are required by our federal state thing, how does the organization, how do our doctors, how do our, does our administration evaluate and assess the current status of, when someone tells me that morale is bad, I don't, I don't discount it, but I don't know if, if that's universal. Um, if there are frustrations about I can't get my supplies, is that universal? And what I do remember, and we stopped doing it, is we used to do an internal survey. And we were, you know, everybody, and it came back, I was astonished when it came back. What it said was, we really like our doctors, we, they were rated very high in, in terms of their confidence. And then the question was, would you bring your family to this, to our system? And it was, good God, no. Um, I mean, it was way down, and I, I thought to myself, oh my word, and we stopped doing that internal survey. So I, I, my question now goes is, we hear individual comments, reports, and I don't, I don't in any way discount your sense of what, what you're feeling, but if an organization is to make those, I think, quality steps to improve, you have to assess the system and not on 
what I call those benchmarks because for me, I, I know you guys have to do it. It's a, it tells me nothing about my role as, as where to put emphasis, etc. It just doesn't. So why have we stopped that internal assessment? I get that's not a question. It, it's a question. Okay, it's going to be a question, but, but the question is, how do you know internally how good you are, how bad you are, what the morale is, what the people are feeling, how much input they have? I mean, there's ways in which you can assess your employees, and we don't do that. I have an answer, actually one answer that we do do. If um, we have a self-insured health plan, and so our staff, our, our staff is able to, not medical staff, that's, I don't believe, but they can, um, well, not of course our contractor medical staff, our, our UAPD staff certainly can do it, but they can decide to be in the self-insured medical plan and get their care through all of our facilities. So I think that's one, and that has been increasing over the years pretty significantly. Are you speaking of the beta heart survey? No, no, I'm no, speaking of the health insurance. Health insurance. Health insurance. And we're choosing, uh, choosing AHS as their uh, as plan. Yeah, and it, it increases every year. There's a, there's is, that a, a is that a financial um, decision, or is it a decision relative to it's where I think my care is? It's probably both, but if you're going to, your, your care might be more important than, you know, spending a few more dollars a month might, if you really are unhappy and, and you're, with the care as a provider. I, that's just doctor. Doctor, so two things. One is that I, I agree it has been a couple of years since we've had that engage, engaging engagement survey. Actually, I can, I can comment on that. I, when I was chief of staff, gave that spring report in uh, at this meeting yeah. in 2013. And you asked me those questions. So that's, that's uh, I think it's totally a reasonable thing to, to get that same thing. Yeah. Um, Adrian, you want to comment? The, 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 the cultural safety survey is, uh, it, it, we've administered it the last two years, but in the last two years it's been called the score survey, so it gives us the same data. Yeah, but so the physicians, right? The physicians and the whole staff. Physician engagement. So many different questions in the score survey. So is it, a, is, it a, is it something that we have established in our system, or is it a... Um, we, 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 uh, we purchased it. I that's mean, what I mean. And so, uh, while I appreciate it's easy, I would take something that you purchase, put together a team of people to look, and find questions that are relative to the organization in which you are functioning in. For me to do a survey of how, and I'm going to use my educational background, for me to use a survey of how teachers in Berkeley are feeling, that came from Fresno makes no sense. But it just doesn't make sense because it's not applicable. But it, the question, some of the questions are legitimate. I don't discount it. So that would be a question that I have is that how do you assess your own organization in, in terms of we have uh, with the press gaming uh, module that uh, I, mean, I think we have a plan uh, to, to, to do this survey but I don't know when we are going to do this survey but we have, the other survey is related to the beta heart so there are like, like 
categories, as you are saying, but among those questions that are, that are standardized questions that are applicable to all healthcare. Yes. And, and, uh, and yes, it is high time to consider doing uh, a system-wide uh, survey and look at this. Uh, Gallup also has a survey that I know UCSF has used. So all these surveys will talk about like uh, employee engagement. But as far as physician engagement, employee engagement, we have now the data hard, and once we get the results, we will share it. We actually have, um, so at the Wellness Task Force meeting, um, Adrian gave us some preliminary results from the Beta Heart uh, initiative, and there was, so we had a really high uh, response rate uh, from employees across the board, like 3,000 uh, people who were physicians. We actually had a decent response rate. Um, for, uh, for your campus? For your campus. So physician response rate was lower than some of the staff groups but it was significantly improved this year than last year. And, and a third of the questions in the score survey are employee engagement questions. Um, my, my team will be, will be working with all of you over the next two to three months to disseminate these results at a very high level and then drilling it down to department level where there was a greater than 40% participation rate. But for physicians, definitely, we can look at the physician responses across the whole organization. Um, I, don't have the, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but we can definitely work with the community hospitals and see just how much, um, just how much specificity we can, we, can attract, we can attach to those numbers. And we, uh, we're committed that by the end of the summer, we will have, we have, we have disseminated and debriefed with all of the staff groups that have participated. And what's really cool about the Better Heart Survey as well is that there are clearly burnout questions. So burnout questions, um, the, the most standard, one, standard ones come from what's called the Maslach Burnout Inventory, and that actually is standardized across, across the nation. Um, they're pretty some, some very standard ones. And based on the preliminary results, again, you know, Adrian might be able to the next month to, to do sort of the, the physician level and, and other ones. Um, but based on what we saw at the Wellness Task Force today at noon, that we're in the red for burnout. So it's, it, there's a red, yellow, green. We're early in red. Um, and I think that that's a, that is a measurable, demonstrable um, thing. The, the contracting entity that we used before for the surveys, because I have them right here, were Moorhead. We used Moorhead to do those surveys, and I have the survey for, for the board's uh, digestion if they want. Uh, it's old. It's old. But, uh, it's part of Preskini. Moorhead is, it was Moorhead purchased by, you're right, you're right, they were purchased by Preskini. But I think this is a, an important dialogue, and I think that a simple concept of if you're not measuring it, you're not managing it, yeah. is, 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 is something that should be in place. So I appreciate that, Dr. Yeah, issue for a board, I believe, is that the only individual we hold accountable is the CEO. And, it, well, and this is nothing, I, I have a great deal of confidence in our CEO, so I want to make certain that there is, that my comments not reflected. But I do think it's a responsibility of the board to evaluate the system and their CEO based on data relative to the system in which they are working. Because data that compares national does not tell you whether or not your organization is improving because the variables are so significant. So finding something that's an internal measurement that you can use year after year to find out how you are improving as a system seems to me the way in which one ought to be. Ought to be. So 
I throw that out there for us to think through. We can be our own benchmark. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, to some degree. You need to be really careful about that. I appreciate that. The other comment I would make is that I love it when people bring up if it's not being measured, it's not being managed. That managed part is super, super important. I know of many organizations where people are surveyed all the time. Certainly fatigue. And, and what happens if there's no response to that is it's worse your burnout becomes worse. Like, well, I keep saying the same thing. Yes. I keep telling them that there's all of these issues, and nothing happens. So we need to be super careful that we're out there measuring this stuff. That's how the board can, in fact, direct the goals, objectives, the understood. evaluation of superintendent, I mean, of the CEO. Sorry. Yep, sorry. Understood. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so to show year after year, and if nothing has improved in those areas, then the question is why? But the benchmarks for me, well, I appreciate those arrows going up and down, and it just does not sing to me in terms of knowing whether or not our system is in fact improving. And so I mean, one hope would be that if we do better, I don't know if the, the Beta Heart Initiative, if we'll do the, a repeat survey in another year, or if we'll do the other surveys, but um, one thing that I think will come out of all of this discussion of, of burnout and well-being is Dr. Jamaladeen and I have, um, you know, started really specifically talking about having, like, wellness counselors and the wellness task force is pretty active now. Um, so we're going to start doing regular wellness talks and actually have a well, like a halftime. Initially, I don't know if you remember a couple months ago, I proposed mm -hmm. a, a full-time FTE. Well, I think um, in our budgetary state, we're going to probably do a pilot with a halftime FTE uh, for uh, for wellness counseling. And I think uh, we're really excited by um, by that process. So um, Dr. Jamalani and I are still looking at the details, but it's it, he's very supportive. And I think that is one thing that we can point to to say, you know, this is, this is a win. This isn't like a morale booster of like, this is actually going to help crisis intervention quality patient satisfaction because if our providers are doing better. Yes, sir. So Any? could we get... Oh, no, 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 I was just trying to moderate. You yeah, chair, <laughs> and future QPSC meeting, can we get the beta heart, some of the info, and share it with the staff? So we'll ask for a report back on, on whatever data are acquired. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. Jamalini, is this executed out of which office, out of, out of quality? Yes, uh, okay. Adrian, uh, yeah. Okay, we, we, will, uh, we will look at the report. I think we should have a report uh, very transparent. We just want to see and have some kind of an executive summary is to just interpret the report in, a, in an effective way. We, we got the raw data last week and we're working on the, on the thing that I want to include with the report, which I'm hoping to be able to, put, to uh, present next month, is um, a qualitative review of the comments. Right. Some of the comments are very, and many of the comments really tell us a story. But I, I want to try and um, give you a qualitative analysis rather than just a list of words or a list of comments. I think that's going to be more, um, it definitely give us a better picture okay. of, of, the, of the whole thing. Excellent. Thank you. Dr. Hart, that ends my report. So, your question? <laughs> Do you have any further comments, concerns, or suggestions that would help us in our mission to pursue the safest and highest quality care? I think I've elucidated those um, for the last 20 minutes. I don't I take more Okay. Give you, I give you the opportunity. No, I appreciate okay. it. I think it, it involves quality. It involves, you know, engagement with the providers and uh, increasing morale so that, uh, you know, we're, everyone feels like we're really in the same direction. Thank you for your report, Dr. Hart.
Dr. Chu. Thank you. Uh, very similarly, uh, as in uh, Alameda Hospital, we are also having uh, ED transition, and it's ongoing. Uh, this is our uh, first uh, three weeks, four weeks of the ED transition. In some way, uh, we have more challenging. Uh, it is a bigger uh, department, and uh, it requires a lot more staffing. So, uh, staffing for physician and mid-level is more of an issue than uh, Alameda Hospital. And in the other way that we are uh, moving along, uh, we do have a medical director uh, starting uh, uh, this month. And uh, we had our, our first uh, ED meeting, and it went well. Uh, we based out some uh, goal and some uh, process uh, to uh, work on, uh, such as uh, new provider orientation, onboarding, charting documentation, and uh, ancillary and uh, administrative uh, support. Uh, so um, those are const constantly a, uh, a work in progress and uh, so it's uh, coming along uh, for the, at least we have some goal to work toward and then um, next um, topic uh, I think it ties in uh, nicely with uh, the uh, issue we were talking about about uh, communication amongst all three uh, medical staff how do we get um, uh, no uh, information and communication. I think it starts with leadership. Uh, we are actually planning for a, a medical uh, staff retreat of the MEC uh, members of all three MEC. And in those uh, retreat, we hope to uh, discuss uh, illness and burnout and the credentialing, uh, which is on a ongoing uh, uh, challenge and. Maybe we can find some way of uh, making it more efficient. And brain uh, uh, free reporting uh, cultural safety, incentive quality, and upstate on, update on law for medical staff leaders, uh, reporting application and updates, uh, physician um, so regulation, behavior, contact, and professionalism, and perhaps. Uh, after the discussion today, we maybe I'm um, thinking about adding a topic of communication uh, amongst the medical staff. That's something that we should discuss. Maybe it's some kind of uh, uh, community, Facebook community, or some type of uh, uh, community that uh, uh, medical staff can uh, communicate and post some messages. And um, any questions? Any questions? Yeah, that is good. That's good. Any other questions for Dr. Chu? Dr. Chu, do you have any further comments, concerns, or suggestions that would help us in our mission to pursue the safest and highest quality care at San Leandro Hospital? Well, we're going through a lot of changes, and uh, changes are usually hard to take by most people. Most people do not welcome changes. If the changes are going to, going to the right direction, is great, but uh, of, of course, when you institute change, you never know, and sometimes too many changes can be demoralizing. 
we call, we're going through changes in the ED, now we're going through changes in our infrastructure, building, we're going through changes in our leadership. Uh, I'm not sure, no, some of the changes are inevitable, and uh, some are not, so I'm wondering if we can uh, somehow, you know, we need some stability. Uh, yes. I think, uh, you know, if we can uh, provide direction, a more permanent um, direction and a goal, I think that would be helpful for the San Diego Medical Staff. Do you have specific suggestions or requests that could address that deficiency? Um, no, uh, what's that's done, uh, uh, well, we can say looking forward, uh, perhaps uh, we just went through a change in uh, radiology, ED, and so forth. Uh, perhaps uh, we should uh, seek uh, like long-term or more of a permanence of the contracting group. Mm -hmm. that's, uh, I, that's what I would uh, uh, would like the board or uh, the medical staff and the medical staff leader to work toward. Uh, uh, I'm sure. sorry, can you clarify what you mean by that? I didn't get that. Yeah, like, like uh, we, we're going through uh, changes in the, uh, 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 the, the hospitals uh, uh, physician uh, contracting group uh, and uh, perhaps uh, we need to more of uh, instead of signing a one-year contract uh, maybe we should try to for someone who can provide service for us for more than one year and uh, yeah, I know it's, it is it's a big ask and I know you know landscape in uh, healthcare is changing so fast we have no choice but to keep up with it. But uh, I think we need some stability, and I really don't have good answer for it. Okay. Something to think about. Trustee Benjamin. No, just okay. that we hear you. Okay. Um, with that, thank you, Chiefs. Um, we will close out item D, and we will enter into item E, uh, the SBU quality metric report um, for behavioral health. I just want to say that uh, Dr. Hussein uh, is not here. He's, a, he's attending the Relative Value Scale Update Committee. He was uh, nominated to serve on this committee uh, at the national level. Oh, wow. That's, uh, what is that committee? One more time, Dr. Jamal. So this is uh, a committee by the American Medical Association that advised the government about reimbursement for the work of the physician and the relative value units of the physicians. Uh, RBU, got it. Yeah, so uh, the, the, the specific... Uh, like area where he's going to focus is on the area of preventive uh, care, population health, and movement from uh, from population uh, from fee for service population health management, like uh, care management coordination of care, the e visits and uh, the bundle payment. Uh, so uh, that's why he is not attending today, but. Uh, uh, I want to give the uh, stage to Dr. To Dr. Tibble, and please, uh, can if you introduce your team, I, I know they were they were they were introduced before. But, uh, Dr. Mukherjee, you can come forward also. Please, yes. You, you read my mind. I was going to um, introduce and want to acknowledge the newest member of our team, Dr. Uday Mukherjee. He's our new medical director for John George, and very pleased. This is a new uh, position that we have. Our interim medical director, and. Uh, uh, very pleased to have. I'll just go across the deeds. We will start. Um, Dr.
Dr. Um, Pison Malemo, who's our Director of Nursing. We've met in a, a prior um, presentation, as well as our Interim uh, Chair of Psychiatry, Dr. Tavish Siddhartha. So again, very pleased, um, Chair and Board members, to make this presentation and to provide some insights in terms of behavioral health. Um, has been experiencing. Before I move to the first slide, I am remembering um, and channeling uh, Trustee Lawrence. It is a picture of our arrows ups and downs, but I just want to start the conversation with, I think a lot of this is uh, previously discussed information in terms of the impacts of ligature. But again, here's another visual picture of the impact that this has had on our SVU. Mm -hmm. So not only has the cost obviously been very significant, but in, in prior times, again, most of this was green. Just visually, you don't even have to really see the numbers. Uh, but it's affecting um, staffing. Uh, we've had to bring in additional staff to cover our financial liability, all the metrics that we had used to project <coughs> essentially where we thought we would be significantly impacted by those. Some of the other things that are impacting is I believe uh, this has also been previously referenced, but we're continuing to see a trend, a different trend, uh, particularly as the county and others move toward pre-crisis treatment and interventions. There have been a lot of county programs that are springing up all across the county, and quite frankly, the nation. It's, it's moving toward uh, the pre-crisis and acute side. So again, a lot of our expected um, ability to uh, receive patients or things like that are being impacted. The other thing is our length of stay, which we'll talk about a little later, um, but acuity and so forth. Um, I want to really uh, highlight that, again, our psychiatric inpatient readmission rates, um, that is green, so we're very pleased at that. So even though we'll talk about a little later in the presentation about the significant uh, change in acuity that we are seeing, uh, we're very pleased at that. Uh, as well as our uh, inpatient falls, Dr. Omale will talk a little bit more about that. Uh, one of the things that, despite all of this, and again, it speaks to the conversation about patient and staff satisfaction, literally is uh, the inpatient, the patient satisfaction. That metric is slowly reclimbing. I think historically um, predates my joining here, but there were fluctuations in what the scores looked like. Uh, but I have to say, I have to comment, in terms of the patient population, they have endured a significant amount of changes as a result of the ligature, the changes, literally having individuals drilling into construction within their rooms, within everywhere. So it's been very, um, a, a very difficult time, but I think this shows, again, staff's commitment and uh, desire to continue to move forward forward. Again, all of the items that we want to target, this is just a, a synopsis of what we really want to look at. Again, we want to move toward the sustainability piece. And what we're looking at, besides just mitigating the costs or uh, trying to save in some areas for the, for in, in, in relationship to the ligatures, we're looking at what long-term operational changes can we do to improve what's happening. Um, so we're trying to look at this as a, a, as a cup half full in terms of it is helping us do some drill down. Are there things to improve efficiencies? Are we working uh, strategically together? Uh, you, you, I didn't speak to it, but I just want to quickly go back. If you look, um, you can't see the numbers very well, but you can see uh, the tobacco use is actually one of the quality measures that we're being tracked on. As you would expect for behavioral health, Smoking is often uh, a comorbid condition. Oftentimes, people self-medicate oftentimes with worst-case scenario drugs, um, but also smoking and coffee. 
Um, in fact, I think we talked about this before, um, but that has been an area that we're still attempting to target to be consistent with AHS, but a reality is some of our patients um, are admitted, receive treatment, and the first thing they do is run out of the door to get a cigarette. So some of the metrics are around, did you do education, and some are like, yeah, thank you, no. I'm not what percentage, smoke. I mean, I find that very, <clears throat> I thought it was very odd that those were the things you chose uh, in terms of quality. So what is the percentage of patients that you have that, in fact, are tobacco users? And I was interested in why that raised your, why that thing became more important than diet or exercise or other health indicators, homelessness. Um. Absolutely. This, these are system-wide adapted uh, metrics. So for the tobacco use, it was something that we looked at across the system. So the thought was in adapting to behavioral health, is there a way to provide, um, produce me a little bit, but I think the rationale is, is there a way to provide at least education around the implications of it? I think you're absolutely right. All their metrics are something we can very well look at. And so as we look at next year, we can target what's more reflective. But we've been seeing this trend pretty consistently. In terms of percentages, I, I wouldn't be, I'd be remiss if I tried to guesstimate, but at least uh, 30 to 40 percent of individuals either are in recovery of smoking or using some kind of substance in addition to their medication. So it's a very complicated pool that we'll see, which we'll talk about. But you're right, we do have the ability, um, knowing that there are some system-wide initiatives, to be a little more conscientious about which ones we adapt for behavioral health. Excuse me, and could you just yes. mention why the staff turnover is empty right now? Um, that came up, I think, in previous uh, metrics as well. I think this, we're, our system is still looking for a way to track and tie these metrics in, so I think for everyone's SBU, it looks the same way. Hmm. So again, these are the areas that we're hoping to um, target, acknowledge, or even, as you, as you mentioned, determine how we can do things differently, whether or not we're choosing the right metric that which, which is actually showing um, something qualitatively important to look at. I'm going to turn it over to uh, Dr. Emilewa to talk a little about the patient falls. Patients fall has been good uh, afternoon. Uh, patients fall has been in the forefront about um, specifically about our quality, quality of services. We are trying as much as possible to make sure that we can make John George zero-free, you know, environment. But we're working hard. Very, we're working very hard on it. And in February, for instance, now we only had uh, two. Uh, in, in March, we had two falls. So this April, we had a little more, and that is because of you know certain scenario regarding those uh, individuals that fell. But we're working very hard and making sure that our fall rate is consistently low, even compared to to others in the in the Alameda Health System. Uh, we've taken a lot of strategies, you know, in implementing that. Uh, part of the strategy is making sure that every staff is educated and hardwired to every staff the importance of preventive fall on every unit. Uh, part of can we go forward? Okay. 
Part of what we've done as far as the fall is concerned is making sure that we implement all the visual cues such as the use of uh, yellow sticks and the use of uh, double-sided non-skilled that will prevent, you know, even our ambulatory patients from falling and making sure that uh, we do the due diligence in handing over and informing every staff about you know, which patient has a potential to fall. Uh, we've, we've got uh, so many sources as far as the fall rate reduction is concerned. So we are engaging every staff very well. Uh, we're educating staff and making use of the fall uh, bulletin board uh, that every staff will know, okay, this is how many falls we had, you know, this past week, weeks and so on. And then we're using the um, post-fall debrief tool to find out how the fall happened, what we have done differently to prevent uh, such a fall. So from every scenario, every scenario is different and we are learning from every situation and modifying our practices to justify how we can prevent uh, the fall. We've got some challenges because most of our population is very confused and disoriented. We know that, and that is increasing our awareness as well. Some patients do refuse to follow instruction. You know, there was a there was a case of a patient that was already discharged, just because he didn't want to go to where we sent him. He just decided to fall, and we see that one even as a fall, or even by kind of that should not be regarded as a fall. But we do see, you know, cases like that, and. We are not able to use the, the yellow blanket because of you know, the disorientation of our uh, patient uh, population. And then the use of forester because of the patient's right and the implication, the cultural implication, because they may equate that kind of uh, you know, falling stars to the you know, um, star of David or something like that. So we're trying as much as possible to, to avoid that. But so overall, could you describe yeah. what you mean by yellows, yellow blanket and falling stars? The, the yellow blanket is a blanket that is yellow. And for instance, for instance if, if we give patient A yellow blanket and in the, in the same way with patient B, so patient A who actually should have the yellow blanket to know that to test out that okay this is a potential for yes. patient B they take that yellow blanket. So precluding patient A from using that blanket. So it it, it defeats the purpose of using you know yellow blanket in our population. If I might add, um, so Dr. Malewa also reached out to patient rights because what we have been trying to do is identify additional episode. And again, in a medical facility, primary medical, you armbands, colors are a way to demarcate health. But for behavioral health, there are patients' rights. Yeah. And they, they have the right not to be treated or regarded differently. So even a star on their on the door can be misinterpreted as of what it is. The color of their armbands, we have to be very clear that either allergies are fine, for example, and um, other other areas are fine, but once you start to show or ad uh, address them differently, and by virtue of the fact that they're in a behavioral health setting, we're a little more, more at a disadvantage. So that, again, that's some of the issues that we're running into.
And in summary, that's all I have. Look at the assaults. Excuse me, could, would you mind going back to sure. slides one more? I have a quick question about this. Uh, if you guys will have coffee by me. So when I look at this slide and I look at the regression, it's a relatively flat line, uh, which uh, and, and it sort of begets a different question. Um, why are we not getting better? Or, and or alternatively, where do we sit in, what is the national benchmark for inpatient falls per 1,000? Are we just really, really good, and that's why we're low and flat? So those are kind of my questions on this. What is, what is national benchmarking for this, and why are we flat on this curve? I, I think we are very good as far as the fall is concerned, because the goal we have, that, that is the red, red, red line there. So how do we select that goal, and what's the national benchmark? I can look further into that. Um, I don't have that number. I think uh, what we do know uh, organically is that we saw a shift in falls because of the nature of reporting. We were not reporting everything. And so we've had spikes and trends of over-reporting. We've also we've done some analysis, Dr. Malewa and our medical leaders, in terms of in one particular month, the same patient fell. And this individual is actually on a, a jail hold in our forensic unit. And even with that, two deputies on the unit and a one-to-one, -one, the individual would still stand up and fall. And so we're, we're seeing it's very organic, but I, I, will, I saw a hand up. I don't know if someone has the Does anyone know the national rate? Quality. So there is no uh, national rate for behavioral health falls. Okay. Um, and the reason that we chose this metric was right before the fiscal year started, we were seeing a rise in behavioral health falls, and we had history of some uh, negative events from falls. And so it was requested that we add that um, as an area of focus moving forward. And so we chose our we chose a target uh, relative a 10% drop as a place to start, given that we didn't have a lot of background. So this is one of those challenges like we discussed before. Mm -hmm. So we're benchmarking it. Trends are going up. One person fell, so that now that's one other person fell. No, historic. Well, we were seeing falls historically around uh, six to seven or eight a month. So we are. Would that be six or seven or eight per one thousand? This is, I think, the total number of falls. Uh, okay. okay. But uh, we have made, they have made a significant decline in the last two months ever since we started a focused falls intervention in the So we're seeing tremendous results. It's very early. It's only the first. The methodology, the methodology of reporting falls rather than a number, it became every day. Got it. And, uh, and we intervention, did an intervention, including the unit on, on uh, analysis at the unit level, is every day reported to, the, to, to myself and the CEO. So since we started this, we have been seeing really a drop in the falls. Mm -hmm. And they have 24 hours to close the loop to investigate every fall and look to like what preventive measures were done or not done and what did we learn from this fall. So uh, this is in the past three months. I mean, the challenge is yeah, this is to rely to, to show, right? Yeah. So I think maybe the oppor the opportunity for us, we want the, this board uh, speaking wants to see a good work. So maybe this chart is just a question of scaling. <laughs> you know, maybe if we put it over three years and we saw the drop and the flat, that becomes a different story than just this snapshot. And, and it does look like we've labeled something very peculiarly. So mm -hmm. if I'm looking at the blue line. 
that is not falls over 1,000 per day. That's the actual falls. Patient days. Patient days. Patient days. Patient days. All right. But um, it is a never event. It should never happen. It is a never event. I, I understand. Yeah. But the linear line and the red line being our goal, isn't the blue line just simply the actuals? Yeah. Yeah, it is the actual. What we do, I'm sorry, what, what we do in that situation is that we divide the number of, you know, the falls yeah. by the patient, they will multiply by 1,000. So okay. that's what we do. Okay. Because the way this looks is very confusing. I just have to call that out. It would be better probably to just show the trend line and just... Yeah, never mind. I, I think next time it will be better to just show the absolute number. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or, or how are we going to scale in the narrative? Because the narrative here is success. And I, I hope you guys can see what. Yeah. what, what no, no, I appreciate it. I'm looking yeah. at our you folks know. and what's going on. So, so if this is a three year trend line, we're like, wow, bam, that, that, that's, that's awesome. As opposed yeah. to we're seeing stagnation. But maybe we've stagnated at nearly the best we can get. You know, and that becomes a different narrative. And that's something we can certainly do. And if I'm not mistaken, in another report that we've seen, is it about falls or is it about something else? But we saw the kind of fall. So, for example, if these all created injury that required additional treatment, I'd be really concerned even if it is three. But if these are folks just, I, I fell, I'm on the floor, I get picked up or I pick myself up, I get it. I understand the nature of the patient population that you're working with. That's going to happen. So are these injury-related? No, that's right. No, they're not. Okay. And that's no, very important to nuance because okay. we, the staff, staff now are overly reporting in the sense of if yeah, I yeah. come upon a patient Thanks. and they're laying down looking at, at the TV, that could so be a fall. Okay, and right. so in that reconciliation, Dr. Jamalini was saying, our nurse leaders will come together and to make sure, no, actually they just were laying down, or as I mentioned earlier, they were break dancing, whatever that is. But initially, it's a fall until it's reconciled. Okay. Thank you. But um, that's a thank you for the feedback. So of all the things you're dealing with then, the falls are something that's the most critical for you to measure. I would say for our system, it's a critical initiative. Um, for um, us, it is a qualitative variable that we're looking at. I, I, I wouldn't say for behavioral health, that's a predominant characteristic, but I think as a system, um, through the work with uh, Dr. Hussain and Dr. Jamal, I mean, that is a focus for the AHS. So the last system. year we decided to, with uh, Kinsey, we decided to put this as uh, like a tumor to prevent falls because yeah. of uh, two or three falls that led to major patient harms and because of the number of falls. So uh, with this intervention right now, uh, we're seeing uh, really significant like decrease of attention from the staff about following the preventive measures to prevent a fall, like all these red flags that we give to a patient and uh, all the engagement in terms of mobilizing the patient. I mean, uh, preventing fall is not like only taking care of patients while you are moving them, but you're also mobilizing them, getting them out of bed in the chair, giving them bathroom access, because many times they're trying to do something. So this is this is a reason. This was just like one uh, metric we, we decided as an organization to give it attention. We're going to change this in the next few months. And do you have other, for example, what about assaults between patients? Yeah, we, we do have assaults, yeah. Okay. So, 
the assault are primarily, if you see the numbers there, which is more uh, linear. In January, we have uh, two assaults, and in February, we had 10, and in March, we had eight. Um, we have been working very hard to make sure that they reduced. Uh, what we do in terms of that is updating uh, our EIP, uh, early intervention plan, and knowing, for instance, what kind of patient is coming in. Is the patient crashing for, from amphetamine or crack cocaine? Is the patient very aggressive? So that kind of patients will implement, you know, EIP, you know, to make sure that we can intervene immediately to give medications pre prescribed by the doctor and then to provide the needs necessary and to reduce the agitation and de-escalate de any kind of um, aggression from the patient. So we'll be doing that very well and um, part of that is making sure that every staff actually have the idea of the CPI, uh, attending the CPI training, you know, what they have to do, um, what distance do they have to keep from the patient so as to, to maintain safety. So all those measures we are taking, uh, we will continue to improve on that. So, so, so between the falls and this, uh, just help me understand, is the fall, is the assaults also listed on our dashboard? No. Okay, so just looking at these numbers, in general, I'm more concerned about this. I'm much more concerned about this. Um, so help me understand how that that didn't get did we not but, want that on there? But if I could you remind you that the beginning of last year as we developed the system wide dashboard, the board decided what they wanted us to record on the dashboard. Because they fall also go to publicly reported scores which evaluate the overall what so for example you know, the vision model scores which were just recently released falls as one of the measures on the Which are the things would you say are, are critical to John George? 
I think um, the, the salt, uh, obviously the assaults, of course, I certainly want to support the system and our, our falls, but um, I think um, assaults, the readmission rate, and um, I would say the, the seclusion industry, there was a very significant, um, and they are very specific to the patient population. We are looking at those irrespective of the system, kind of focus on it, because those are things that are occurring as an, on a daily basis. Is there a national benchmark for this for this data point versus uh, falls for assaults? How we do that? I guess how we yes. doing Yes. There are actually this is one of the uh, important benchmark metrics in behavioral health. I think it's uh, so. Where do we sit in scale to that? I, I'm trying to think about New York State because I, I, I think this is not this is quite good actually. But you have to see that assault could be very variable. I mean, it can be verbal assault. Yeah, and, and it also could be spitting. Spittle is considered an assault. Uh, patient spittle. Exactly. We, we, we did have a patient who was. Uh, uh, patient on the end of his life and was hospital bound and happened to be psychiatric and his assault was waving his arms, threatening and spitting. And the individual couldn't do anything more than that, but we, we still capture that. So in general, although it's alarming to see it that way, we are seeing a significant trend down and staff, just like with the other metrics, are overly reporting. Um, but we're qualitatively looking at each event to see what it what it was, was there some harm, was there injury. Well. I, I suppose I'm looking at this, and I, and I don't mean to be rude, because I know you have to look at these things. But when you bring it to a board, and you want a board to do something or to inform them, understanding what assaults means is significant. That's so right. I never in a million years, if somebody spit at me, would I have qualified that as assault. assault. So that's, that's one of the things. Numbers, when you say how many of these are actually combative, where someone got hit, versus somebody got spit at, so there's no relative information. And so, and you're hearing my frustration, Karen, but this is not just with your division. No, I know. It's with the whole thing. The information that comes to a board with this kind of stuff, it, it means nothing to me because there's no clear definitions about it. There's no, there's no look at you show what you did last month versus this month, but how does that relate to all the other hospitals like ours? I mean, uh, these dashboards I just find so incredibly frustrating and very misleading. And then what worries me is the amount of energy and time that the staff spends correcting something that is insignificant, in my view. So, if we have three, I don't want anybody to get hurt in the fall, so I don't want to be misunderstood. But if we have 3,000 people and two people fall, uh, that seems to me logically as a human being, oh, that's great. Now, is that good internationally? I don't know. But I'm sorry, I ranted and raving. I'll shut up. I, I, no, don't shut up. I just, I just find this and so incredibly frustrating. And it sends administration and us working to fix something that we really haven't analyzed whether or not it's an issue. No. We appreciate your feedback. No, but you were hopefully wrap around everyone. So we appreciate it. Um, I, I'll spend just a little time because, again, we're, I think your feedback is, is, is global and you'll see, again, in our readmission rates. This was, a, again, another positive metric 
and I want to emphasize that because uh, we'll talk, it, uh, we'll kind of move through the rest of it um, since we're pressed for time, but again, we are seeing an increasingly more uh, acute level of patients that in the hospital. So we are seeing that across the boards and by virtual clinical presentation, drug abuse, and so forth. So the fact that um, uh, from February 17th, we're, we're kind of continuing to stabilize that um, is important to note. In February, it was a shorter month, um, but nevertheless, we're, we're still seeing a, a holding steady or a gradual decrease in the amount of time people come back to inpatient. That's exactly that's what this message is around. California State is uh, in the 16-17%, and we were about two years ago in the 17%. This has happened without uh, an increase in the average length of stay, I think, in That's correct. And we've always seen a recent change in our average length of stay, which again is attributed to a little bit of the ligature, mm -hmm. having to pick those that are more acute patients. So. Uh, first, Gany, first about uh, patient satisfaction. Um, which is it's not where we want it to be, but um, we've implemented a lot of strategies. You know, one of that is the new islands that we're doing now, and that starts from PDS from as, as soon as the patient is coming in, we're going to be talking to the patient and finding out what are their experiences about where they are. Um, it is very evident that as we move on, uh, that is going to have a very significant effect on measuring um, the experiences of our patients. So, and that is, you know, where we are as far as you know, inpatients, inpatients and outpatient experiences are concerned. And the only additional comment before uh, Dr. Siddhartha talks more uh, clinically is, uh, again, keep in mind in terms of what the patients are experiencing, they're experiencing increasing one-to-one -one by virtue of our ligature. So that means an individual is actually being monitored while they're using the restroom while they were sleeping. And so we, we were attempting to restabilize in the beginning of the year um, and had some trends up, but then again, you're going to see a start, again, a decline in October of 17. And you know, there's just a corresponding unique relationship to the dare degree to be safe and happy when you have construction and you're, you have things being painted and redone and refixed and the phones shorten everything happening around you. So there's still a lot of work to be done. So could you yes. go back to yes. Just help us distinguish what does behavioral health mean in blue, the girl, and then linear, what's that? The blue, the blue is our own measure that is very specific to our... So that's what the score, what the, the, the variation that you're seeing, that's the score we got in that particular time frame. The green is the goal the based on the metrics. And the dot is just the, essentially the mean. The mean. Okay. So we've been dancing around the mean for a while. Thank you. Well, allow me to be here. And I, uh, I wanted to make a quick comment about uh, your comments, and I think they're, uh, they're really well placed. And so thank you for sharing those. And we are, what we didn't mention was that we are in the process of just really sincerely looking at what is it that we really want to measure that is relevant to our uh, services, the thing, things that we do, what are the national benchmarks for it, and what do we, what can we reasonably expect us to be or to reach in a given length of time. 
And uh, probably in the next uh, presentation we can uh, we'll do some, uh, you'll see that a little bit. Uh, for now, the, this slide, uh, we are talking about the average length, length of stay at John George. And if you see, there is a little bit of an upward take over the last one year, goes from 6.8. So there's uh, to eight. So about our average length of stay is about one day higher than last year. Uh, we have some hypotheses around it. One of them is that uh, uh, it is probably related to a combination of uh, increased acuity across the system, which we have been hearing about. And in addition to the short-term uh, uh, interventions that we do to decrease uh, regulatory risk, and that leading that led to heightened sensitivity in combination with the suicide screening that we have been doing and measuring. So th those could be contributing. Now, regardless of what we have but you have also between December and probably March, we had close about how many beds, like 10 or 12 beds? Yes, that were offline. Off offline, yes. Mm -hmm. right. uh, immediately when, um, again, the ligature communication, oh, we were we were operating usually full capacity 69. We were in the 50s for many many months. So again, all of these metrics are layered on top of that. So, so you, when you admit the patient and then you heal the patient inside the emergency department and they don't reach outside, they don't enter into your, your metrics, and that's why. Also, your, your short-stay patients, if they are like staying for a short stay, they get admitted and then they get better, you discharge them without reaching the floor, you, 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 you increase your average length of stay and you see it. That is another, that is another uh, way which it could have been impacted. The, what I do see is that it's a little bit of uptake uh, starting earlier in that here. I don't know if it is significant at this point or not. There is one good thing that we're doing about it at this point of time, regardless of you know, what the exact explanation for it, which probably we will never be able to confidently say. Uh, uh, we have been looking into our administrative days, our mental days, and our disposition planning, and making sure that uh, we are expanding the different options that we have uh, about transferring our patient to a different level of care. Can you explain administrative days? So when we have uh, a patient who has been uh, on the inpatient unit, we are paid for by based on acuity. So if a person does not stops meeting acuity standards, we they are uh, they are supposed to be discharged. Uh, unless you are sending them to a lower level of care, step-down level of care. Now, I mean, if you have made the referral and the, and the person meets criteria for a lower level of care, but there is not a bed available there, you keep them in your unit and you get paid administrative days. So these are the patients who might not have a home to go to, who might be who might be outside John George, and you are finding challenges that was going to be part of the question that yes. I was asking relative to what, what, the, the data that you have on the individual patient who is staying long. Do, do you collect that? I mean, relative to those who might be drug, might be there for drug issue. They might be there, in fact, because they are harmless. They might be there 
Uh, I mean, so what, how far down do you disaggregate the data and the people who are staying so that it, are there more women than men? Are they age, is there an age group difference? Is there, what are their social characteristics? Um, I mean, it seems to me that if you're going to solve the problem about length of stay, you're going to have to figure out who is it that you're, that is requiring the length of stay to go up and what are their conditions. Um, I think, yeah, uh, yes, I'll, uh, I think the one nuance I will say is that our, the length of stay um, is being impacted by acuity, but most importantly, also on the outside, there have been uh, at least 20, I believe, beds that were that were um, taken offline, which was in a loss of acute. And that was typically uh, uh, John George's referral place. Um, now, when, when Dr. Siddhartha talks about expanding, that means our traditional way of referral has to change. We, we are continuing to make those referrals, and the folks are continuing. And it, it doesn't matter, but I think for fiscal sustainability, it's important to know the difference between payment for an acute versus an administrative days is $1,100. So $1,500, i.e., per day for inpatient, and about $400 for acute, so there's significant difference. But if, if those beds were taken off that you generally refer, that if your length of stay is impacted by something you have no control Exactly, exactly. And so that's the kind of information that one needs to look at to say, this isn't anything to sh I'm saying the same thing I said earlier. No, you're right, and I think one thing, just to affirm what you're saying, is what we have done, and I definitely want to affirm, is we, that is one of the reasons why we initiated, which I'm very pleased that the board approved, the contract with uh, tr uh, TLC essentially is a six-bed license for the care. Exactly what you're saying is something that when I, when I came on board, that uh, AHS has to look at differently. Because the reduction of available beds across the county has happened, why not we purchase our own beds? And so what we've been able to do is move those individuals who are still waiting for someone else, at least out of the cost of a hospital, because they're homeless, there's so many complicated factors. So the, uh, we're, our data in and of itself, organic data, so I don't want to pin ourselves, but we were about $2 million for administrative days. Um, it's cheaper to get... It's cheaper to, for the $400,000 contract, immediately those beds are filled. And so we're trying to think outside of the box as we move systemically. Yeah, as Dr. Kribble said, um, I can't answer your question directly with statistics, but what I can say is we really carefully look at the individuals who are staying longer in the hospital. It's not necessarily limited to age, sex, or the diagnostic uh, characteristics. It's basically based upon the placement issues. So what happens is if individuals are going to uh, IMD, Institution of Mental Disease, it's a locked unit for lower level of care, they are probably waiting in the hospital for two months or more. That skews the data. Uh, the other factor which is playing a role over the last few years is the kind of support services which is available in the community. In the past, if I made a suicidal statement I want to kill myself, I would probably land up in the hospital. But now, with all the low levels of care in place, there are teams of individuals who will be working to keep these individuals in the community. So the kind of individuals who come to the hospital are a lot more acute than what I was seeing when I was in the sense training. So these factors play a role in how we look at the length of stay data 
will not necessarily based upon your other characteristics. That's very, That's very helpful. Very, Thank you. Very helpful. And ensure you take us home. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay, then we'll move on to the next slide. Um, uh, the, the next couple of slides will refer to uh, performance improvement uh, to endeavors uh, uh, that we, I presume that you have heard about before, so I'll go through them quickly. The first one is our effort to uh, standardize our measurement of suicide risk and with the goal of decreasing emissions of air. Uh, so we, uh, errors of emission, sorry, and that uh, started sometime in October of 2017. Uh, it has been ongoing. We have been auditing uh, about 40 charts every month. And in our facility, we are at 100% compliance with all the, the policy that we have set in place to measure suicide risk and reassess it. We, uh, it has also been implemented in one of our intensive outpatient programs. The next, uh, the next project is to uh, implement it in the other intensive outpatient pro program at Highland Campus. And we will continue with our internal monitoring uh, and audits for uh, compliance with uh, CSS uh, with this policy. The other project that we have engaged in uh, starting, it started sometime um, late last year, but since January we have, I guess, uh, gone version two of it. And this is to really closely look at our interfacility transfers. And with the goal of being compliant with the internal regulations, making sure that when we are transferring patients, that the receiving facility is getting all that they need and that patient's, uh, patient's uh, care is not compromised. So we, uh, there are lots of things we have done about this and basically uh, uh, we, uh, we have uh, uh, instituted several steps which we uh, monitor very closely. We meet weekly, uh, we audit charts, we look at uh, what are the errors that are being, uh, being made? We institute immediate corrective plans. So we have made a lot of progress with, uh, uh, in this regard. I think in January when we started this, we were at about 67% compliance, and now we're consistently about 95. The goal is to be at 100. Uh, that has been a little elusive. <coughs> Hopefully we'll get that. Uh, going, uh, and again, uh, what we need to do is, we're going to keep doing what we're doing at this point of time and where we are at uh, closely monitoring uh, uh, the care, identifying errors and quickly uh, providing feedback and putting corrective actions uh, in place. And so one thing I will add, uh, based on the humility of our nursing and physician leaders, is we are actually holding ourselves to a higher standard. So we are, we are preparing in virtue in terms of being survey ready for folks to come back and evaluate. But we will we may look at a form, and it may be it probably is acceptable, but we'll raise the bar if if something was not specifically noted or explicitly described why the patient didn't uh, the patient did not sign because they were weren't able to sign. We're forcing our our nursing and physicians actually saying why. Was it disorganization? Was it this? Was it that? So we're trying to think of all the yeah buts. And again, I really credit our, our, our clinical leaders for um, looking at that. So the 95% rate, I would probably say it's higher than that, but it really is. Uh, we have raised the bar of expectation. Um, the last one, and uh, thank you last for slide. the last slide, and I know we're, we're close for time, literally is our informant materials. And some of the uh, recent visits that was mentioned earlier uh, was uh, basically gave us feedback 
that basically admission packet that John George creates is inconsistently completed. And what that, what, why that occurred, in, in short, was operationally sometimes, some years ago, we moved it to our nursing staff, primarily holding that with physicians. But for you and all of us who have gone to medical facilities, oftentimes you have a, a clerk or someone who's non-medical, just not clinically reviewing, but just eyeballing. Is every single box checked? Is every single date accurate? Is it, is it legible? Is the signature legible? And those are some things we found out in a very detailed workflow analysis that is missing. So even though we have multiple uh, clinicians and physicians and nurses looking at the documents, it, it, it is probably not only cost ineffective to do that, but we're finding that there's some, some challenges there. And the other piece that's contributing to why we are moving forth is uh, we, we are hybrid. Uh, John George is paper, pencil, and a little bit of Sorian all mixed together, which makes, again, the process for making sure documents are real-time scanned an issue. So this is, this is uh, something that we're actively tackling at this point, and we'll be moving forward. Thank you very much for that presentation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so back. thank you, behavioral health team. So standard work is standard work, despite the hour. Standard work is standard work. <laughs> Do you have any further comments, concerns, or suggestions that would help us in our mission to pursue the safest and highest quality care in the behavioral health unit? I think I'm in agreement with uh, Susan the dashboard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, so if you'd like to support that, we'll probably take our there are so many good things. I mean, I, the patients who get care at St. George and go back to their families, take care of their children, and go back and work. Mm -hmm. These stories we don't see in the numbers. And, 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 and you know, when I, when I go there and I hear these stories, these, these, are, these are the important things. At the same time, we have some national metrics that, you know, we have to, to uh, be held accountable for and report and be aware of that help us from a system level. But the board has to uh, understand this uh, and, and help them uh, make decisions, you know, in terms of what resources, you know, us, you as a team need or what strategic direction we should move into. So we'll have more discussion about this. I mean, one of the most important things I think that you done is, I mean, you basically rebuild the airplane while it's flying. Yeah. We have done this. Without gas, refueling. Without affecting. <laughs> and also your, your crisis uh, management in terms of, uh, what do you call it when you go on, uh, on census hold? Crisis management. Yeah, I mean, your census hold has not been occurring. Yeah, despite everything, we used to go on diversion last summer in November. Mm -hmm. This hasn't been happening. This is you know, quite important. I mean, people were complaining about this, not in our system, outside our system, because when we go on crisis management, they cannot transfer patient to us. So we want to make these things also the good things also be visible. Totally agree. Great dialogue. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll have to close out item. I'm oh, sorry. Next time, can you get us the seclusion and restraints data? We, we absolutely yes. will. And your feedback yeah. is yeah. very well. Yeah. We'll probably also begin to have a conversation about the internal things that will be affecting crisis, this CSU versus PES, things that it would be important to know and always. Okay. So thank you. We look forward to that dialogue on always uh, getting better with the dashboard. So with that, we close item E. Thank
Thank you, team. Thank you. Uh, we'll go into item. Uh, so uh, let me say I got the gift from our chief medical officer. There is a very robust element in the packet on peer review. The peer review redesign team has obviously done very good work. The slide set kind of tells a very nice story. I'm going to defer this to the next QPSC and shrink the time. The slide set is pretty good. Is that okay with you, Dr. Tarabi? Um, so uh, everyone look at that peer review. It, it, it provides uh, the pathway. We've actually been requesting this, so this was a that we have been requesting. So we'll get a little bit more of a narrative, and we'll punt that to the next QPSC. Um, with that, we will close out item E. Item F is planning calendar and issue tracking. Uh, planning calendar, we obviously have a board of retreat uh, uh, two days, uh, starting tomorrow here in this room and on Saturday in the Fairmont cafeteria. Uh, next item is Wednesday, May 23rd. The Highland Resident Quality Forum, which we've been invited to, is from 12 to 1.30 p.m. in HCP Grand. Uh, next is our next QPSC, Thursday, May 24, uh, back at Highland Hospital. With regard to tracking items, we are going to get an update on peer review. Uh, ultimately, we'll kick it down the road, but we want an update on the transfer center as we keep having that dialogue, uh, and some board education on policy flow. Uh, we are plus 22 minutes time. That is all on me. Thank you. That, uh, oh, sorry, we go, uh, we close item F, and we go to item G, legal counsel. And with that, thank you everybody. That closes the meeting. Thank you.